0: Oh, if you know this, but you have an amazing pastor. Yeah, Pastor Stan is somebody who's not just a pastor, but I consider him a friend. And I just hope you know, while well, he's gone, I want to talk about him behind his back. Um, but it's all good. So let me just say that. Now, Pastor Stan, I got here four years ago when I first came to Georgetown University to pioneer campus ministry uh, with Kylefa there, and Pastor Stan was a good friend from the start. So I just say that when you get back, when he returns back from general counsel, uh, bless him, tell him how much you missed him. And uh, I I know that you will. And I know that he's a, a blessing to all of you. So I just wanted to say that before I start. So 10 years ago, I joined Chi Alpha to start reaching college students. And I did so with one reason. I wanted to see Jesus Christ transform the lives of college students. Amen. I got one amen on that. There we go. I wanted to see Jesus Christ transform the lives of college students, and I stand here before you today to tell you that it's happened. Let me tell you what's happened. Let me tell you about Eric. When I first met Eric, he was a functioning alcoholic. He couldn't stop drinking. In fact, it got so bad that he, one night he drank way too much, blacked out, woke up the next morning, and couldn't remember what he'd done the night before, and it scared him. It was that day he remembered his friends in Chi Alpha. It was that day he turned his life over to Christ, and it was that day he had his last drop of alcohol. Christ completely delivered him from this addiction that he had had for years. And in that course of the next year, we discipled him, trained him up, and at the end of that year, God called him into ministry. He spent the next three years in full-time Chi Alpha reaching other college students just like himself because Jesus Christ can transform an alcoholic into a pastor. Amen? Let me tell you about Seth. Yeah, we can give God a hand clap of praise for that. Let me tell you about Seth. When I first met Seth, he was an atheist or an agnostic at best. His favorite quote was that he'd rather be in the mountains thinking about God than in the church thinking about the mountains. He was somebody who had no relationship with God whatsoever, but we built a relationship with him. And week after week, we started to see a change in his life. And by the time he graduated, he gave me a gift. And on it, it simply said this, If I ever had any doubt that there was a God, it has been erased by the work you've done, the lives you've touched, and the love that we share. Because Jesus can transform an atheist into a believer. Amen? You've heard from Kyle missionaries. You've heard from missionaries all over the world. But why Georgetown? One word. Influence. The students that are at Georgetown will be our future world leaders. King Abdullah of Jordan. The Crown Prince of Spain. Our former President Bill Clinton. Our current Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. The CEOs of MBA, Bank of America, AOL, and ABC Entertainment all came from one school, Georgetown. You want to change the world? You change a place like Georgetown. Now, just a few years before I had arrived, Georgetown was considered the place campus ministry went to die. Just a few years before I got there, they had kicked off every Protestant ministry, including Chi Alpha. So I did not expect a warm reception. I arrived on campus, and by a miracle of God's grace, eight months after we first arrived, we were invited by the university to move into the dorms to serve as pastoral counselors on behalf of the university. For those 200 students that lived in the dorm. Best part about that, the same lady who wrote the letter kicking everybody off campus wrote me a letter of recommendation. That was awesome. It went so well that first year. Nobody had done anything like this before within KAI Alpha. It went so well that first year that my area director took notice and said she wanted to get involved. She applied, became a chaplain next door to me to the 440 freshmen in her building. Whereas six years before we were all kicked off campus, today we're responsible for 10% of the school. Because God can open doors that no man can shut. God has blessed our ministry. We've seen it grow. This past year, we, had to, we outgrew our current location, had to move to a different spot on campus. We actually trained more new student leaders than we graduated seniors for the first time ever. And for the first time ever, we actually have a student who just graduated, and instead of going off into a career field and to make millions of dollars, this student has given her life to ministry and has devoted herself to be the first student ever to graduate from Georgetown and go into Chi Alpha ministry. And she's here this morning uh, as one of our interns. Actually, Bonnie Duncan and Kristen Caldwell, will you stand up real quick? Both these girls, recent college graduates who have given their life to the ministry. And this fall, they're going to be working on Georgetown's campus, uh, reaching out to students, just like they were just a few years ago, because God is faithful and Jesus Christ can transform the lives of college students. Amen? Amen. God is doing great things, but it's because of you. If it weren't for you, if it weren't for this church and churches like this that have supported me, this would not be possible. So I'm here for a couple of reasons. Well, I'm here because Pastor Stan isn't here, right? And he invited me, I promise. But... I'm also here to say thank you, because four years ago I arrived at this church with a dream of what Kaiafa could become. Four years ago, my wife and my daughter came here just after my daughter was born. We came here with a dream of what God could do, and now we're starting to see it fulfilled. Thank you for taking a step of faith. Thank you for believing in us, and thank you for making this dream possible. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you've already done in this service, and we pray that it just continues. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, and I pray that my words would be few, and your words would be many. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I didn't introduce her before, and now she's going to kill me for doing this, but this is my beautiful wife, Jenny. Notice I didn't make her stand. Because if I did, then she might kill me. So, husbands, you know what I'm talking about. So, but that's my beautiful wife, Jenny. I, I have to tell you, but um, we have the best daughter in the world. I, I know what some of you are thinking. You have great daughters. Some of them are in the room. Um, some of you are daughters in the room, and that's great. I, I, I'm, I'm just sorry to tell you, my daughter is the best daughter in the world. It's been empirically proven. Um, I have the test results I can show you. I apologize. I know this may come as disconcerting news, but my daughter is the best uh, daughter in the world. I was hoping to get one amen on that one. No. You didn't see her. My daughter is the best. I remember the moment she was born, I looked at her, I held her up, and I was like, she is perfect. And you know what? I'm going to be the perfect dad. And so now we now we got something going here. Yeah. I, I thought I was going to be the perfect dad. You know, I looked at her and I thought, you know what, I am not going to make any of the mistakes my parents made. I'm never going to lose my temper with her. You know? I'm always going to make the right decision, right? Dads, you know what I'm talking about. You hold them up in that moment and you think, I'm going to be perfect. You see where this is going, right? So she's two years old, just a few years later, two years old, and I'm running errands. I'm in a hurry. I'm running all over town. I'm in a hurry, which is a bad thing. It's always just a bad idea. And we get to the post office because I've got to mail a bunch of newsletters, and it's just my daughter and myself. And I hop into the back seat where she's strapped into the car seat, and I'm affixing these hundreds of uh, stamps to the different envelopes to go all all, all over. And uh, I'm trying to distract my daughter at the moment, so I give her a snack, because that's a good idea. Hand her the snack in this little Ziploc bag, and uh, I think at that point she's good. I'm going to be able to get my work done, which is the important thing, right? And uh, what does she do in that moment? But she takes the entire snack bag and dumps it all over her head. You've been there. And my first response was to go, Sophia! And yell. And then she started to bawl. And that was the moment I realized I am the worst dad ever. That's when it happened. And I think we all can identify with that. There's, there's that distance between who we are and who we want to be. Right? And whether it's your, as a parent, as a student, as a, a worker, as a man, as a woman... There's that distance between who we are and who we want to become. What do we do about that? That's what I want to talk about this morning. So Jesus was walking with his disciples just after the Last Supper, which we remember this morning. He was walking with his disciples over to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his arrest, just before he's handed over to the authorities to be turned in and then crucified. And he's walking on this path, and most likely that night he passed the temple. It would have been along the route. And he passed the temple, and on that temple there would have been affixed a seal called the Great Golden Vine. It was the national symbol of Israel. And if you imagine a grapevine, everybody imagine a grapevine. That's what it looks like. Just imagine it golden, you got it. And so he passes this, and this is what he's in his mind at the moment when he says these words to his disciples. Some of the last words that he's going to be sharing with his disciples. It's a passage you've heard before, but I encourage you to open your heart and let you hear it again for the first time, as if for the first time. It's John chapter 15, starting in verse 4 and through verse 5. I'm going to read it here. Jesus says this. He says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I believe this. I believe the answer to the disconnect between who we are and who we want to be is found in remaining in him. Some of you heard it this way, abiding in Christ, right? That's the the translation you've heard. As one missionary said it, and that's the way I'll refer to it from this point on, because I think it's the best, is to spend extravagant time with Jesus. I believe the answer to the disconnect is to spend extravagant time with Jesus. Something happens when we do that. Let me tell you what I mean. So every semester on campus, we do this event called 24-hour prayer, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. So we reserve the chapel for a full 24 hours, and students sign up for one-hour time slots during that time to pray, pass the key to the chapel on to the next person, and to keep an unbroken chain of prayer for 24 hours. Now, we do this to remind our students that it is not our strength or our creativity that reaches out to other students. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do this, it's funny. Inevitably, students come up to you and they're like, man, I don't know if I can pray an hour. Right? And then immediately after it's over, they think, that's an hour? It went by so fast. Do I have to leave? I'm like, no, stay. And they stay. Um, no, but, but there's always that time where they think that it's going to be so difficult. But then it goes by so quickly. But what amazes me most is the next night at our worship service. We always end it at the time when our worship service begins. What amazes me is every time I see students in that worship service, they're different. You know what I mean? They're different. They come into that worship service ready to worship. They come in looking out for the, the people that are new. They come in ready to hear the word and ready to respond to it. Why? Because when you spend time with Christ, when you spend that time in prayer, it just does something on the inside of you. It changes you. It changes who you are, and it changes the way you act. See, what Jesus says in this story is, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now, I don't know anything about gardening, nothing at all. But I did learn this when I was studying this passage, and I think it's relevant, that when I thought I am the vine, you are the branches, I kind of thought about it as like, you know, the the, the stalk that comes out, and then just imagine, right? It's better than PowerPoint, your imagination, it's wonderful. Just imagine this stalk coming out, right, and then the grapevines coming off from that, right? That's what I had in my mind. He is the vine, and we're the branches. Like, he's the source, and then we're the branches that come off of him. That's kind of the picture I had in my mind. But what vine refers to is actually the entire plant. Vine doesn't just refer to that stalk, just that source. It refers to the entire plant. It'd be like Jesus saying, I am the tree and you are the branches. So the beauty of that truth is this, is that what Jesus is saying is not that you just stay connected to me and you'll continue to grow. But what he's saying is as you stay connected to me, you will become indistinguishable from me. You won't be able to tell the difference between where you end and where I begin. You won't be able to tell the difference between what is Christ and what is you. Why? Because when we spend extravagant time with Jesus, we become part of his vine. We become part of him. And his character becomes our character. When we spend extravagant time with Jesus, his character becomes our character. So there's a student I met at the beginning of this past year, who came from a completely secular background, was not raised in church at all. And she came to Kai Alpha only because one of her friends invited her. And she walked into Kai Alpha that night and had a really high interest in building friendships because she needed some of those, but she had no interest in God whatsoever. But as she kept coming and hanging around us Christians, something started to happen. She started to get a little more curious about this God thing. But she had some objections. She had some things that she couldn't quite get over. Like, for example, she knew that she believed there was some type of God out there. But the idea of Jesus being God, that was a little too much to swallow. So what does any student do when they have questions? She made an appointment with the pastor. So I sat down, and had coffee with her, and we just began to talk. I talked through all of the questions and the concerns that she had. And at the end of that hour-long meeting, I realized this was not going to be our last meeting. I realized she had a lot more questions. And so we met over the course of this last year, and we talked through her issues. We talked through what was going on. We talked through some of her objections. And one by one, as we were able to strike these off, as we were able to take these off of her list, it became clear to her that something was changing within her heart. I remember the last meeting I had with her. I was sitting in the coffee shop on campus, and she would asked all of her questions. Why this? Why that? What about this situation? What about that? And at the point when all of her questions ceased, at the point when all of them fell flat and we were able to break through all of the defenses, she went to open her mouth and say her next question and she just went, uh, I, I was like, are you okay? Do you need a doctor? No. But she said, uh, and she realized all of her objections just fell to the ground. And she looked at me and asked the final question, the one that mattered, and she said, okay. How? How do I become a Christian? And in that very moment, I got to pray the prayer of faith with this girl. The reason I tell this story is that two days later, she ran into one of our staff members. And the staff member asked her, how are you doing? Because we didn't know what was going on with her at that point. I said, how are you doing? Hoping that this would still stick. And she looked at her and she said, I just can't stop smiling. I just can't stop smiling. Do you remember what it was like when you first came to Christ? You know that moment when you really felt your sins evaporate? That moment when you realized you didn't have to carry that guilt anymore? Do you remember what that moment was like in the six months that followed that? That's what she was living in right at that moment. Jesus later on says in this passage that he says this to us so that her joy may be full. And I find this to be the case. The most spiritual people that I've ever met are also the most joyful people. I, I just think it's true. The most spiritual people, the, the people with the depth of spirituality, are also the people with the most joy. And what I find is, is this. is It's amazing to me. Not that Jesus was willing to hang out with sinners, right? If he was willing to come down and become a human, I think he's not going to be too picky about who he hangs out with, right? That doesn't amaze me. What amazes me is the fact that the sinners were willing to hang out with Jesus. Do you ever think about that? Like, they're going to a party. You know who we should invite? Yeah, the rabbi. Like that doesn't go on your checklist. You know, okay, we need some food, we need some drinks, rabbi, and we're done, right? That's not what goes through your mind, But why did all these people want to hang out with Jesus? The apologist G.K. Chesterton says it this way. He said, the most remarkable characteristic of Christ was his mirth, was his joy. I believe this, that not only when we spend extravagant time with Jesus, does his character become our character, but I believe that his joy becomes our joy. His joy becomes our joy, and it just starts to overflow. If you're not living with joy in your life, I challenge you, spend some extravagant time with Jesus, and your joy will be overflowing. Finally, not only does it change our character, not only does it change our joy, I believe this, when we spend extravagant time with Jesus, it changes the world. There's a lot of flags in this room, a lot of flags that represent a lot of countries, People that represent a lot of different countries and places and people groups. Why in the world do we put these flags up here? Just as a PR thing? To show, oh, no, we welcome all? No. That's not why Pastor Stan puts them up there. Because we believe that we have a God that breaks all national, ethnic, language, and racial barriers. We believe we have a God that is over all of these flags. And we believe that when we pray to him, that he can change things all over the globe. Amen? We're a Pentecostal church, right? We believe that can actually happen. We believe that when we pray over one of these flags, that people can come to know Christ. Amen? We believe that we have a God that is transcendent. And we believe that prayer can change the world. Let me give you one example of that. The Layman's Prayer Revival of 1858. Let me read this to you. This is one of the most remarkable American revivals took place in 1858. Lacking any one leader, this renewal was thoroughly lay-oriented and took place largely in the cities. Praying, not preaching, sparked the movement that started in a noonday prayer meeting in New York City. Soon, interdenominational prayer meetings started up in most of the major cities of the north. With more than 2,000 people Jamming Chicago's daily prayer meeting at the Metropolitan Theater. Can you imagine that? 2,000 people in line out there. You're like, okay, this is a new iPhone or something. No, they're lining up to pray. Can you imagine if that happened downtown D.C.? Now we're awake. Okay. The revival then spread to rural areas, including the south to Europe, especially England, and even to Australia. This awakening helped establish the historical context for the Moody Bible Institute, The Salvation Army, and the rise of the Faith Missions Movement, all just shortly after the Civil War. Why? Prayer. Praying, not preaching, was what sparked this revival. And let me tell you this, if you study history, you soon realize that every major revival, every major move of God has one thing in common, prayer. It was not when the leadership got it, it was when the people got it, and they spent time in prayer before God, and they started to see the world change. I am at Georgetown for no other reason than to change the world. Is that because I'm great? No. It's because I believe that I have a God that is great. It's because I have a believe that I have a God that when I pray to him, that things actually change, that things actually happen, and that the students that are on campus right now who will touch the world can then change the world. I'm I'm believing for the power of God to change the world because I believe God is simply that powerful. This last fall, we had a prince and a princess living on Georgetown's campus in one of our freshman dorms. They were a prince and a princess from a Middle Eastern country. What is possible if just one of them comes to know Christ? What is possible if one international student coming here to study comes to know Christ, and goes back to their home country. They don't have to learn the language. They don't have to raise a missions budget. They don't have to to figure all that out. They are a missionary, though, to their home country. What is possible if we begin to see these people changed? If we begin to see these students that I live next to, that I spend my day near, if we start to see them changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we literally can transform the world. when we spend extravagant time with Jesus, his mission becomes our purpose. His mission becomes our purpose. I want to invite the worship team to come back on. We'll get ready to close. So, uh, I'd love to say I've made it, that I've arrived. I'd love to say that now I'm the perfect example of what a father should be and that I've, I've dealt with in the last two years all of the negative things that were in my heart at that time, and now I am the perfect example of the perfect parent. But it's just not true. I haven't arrived there. And I I think the problem with that disconnect between who we are and who we want to become is all of that is just focused on ourself. All of that is just focused on our achievements, our accomplishments, our coming to that place where we can look at ourselves and say we're the example. Where in reality, the gospel truth is this, is you don't have to be the example. You can just be the one that points to the example. You don't have to be perfect, because you can just point to the one who is perfect. You don't have to be completely righteous, because you've been clothed clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'd love to say I've made it, but I can't. But I promise you this, when I do spend extravagant time with Jesus, my daughter gets a better father. My wife gets a better husband. My ministry gets a better pastor. See, friends, this whole thing is not about coming to the place where you get to where you want to be. It's about realizing that we are broken and He is perfect. That we are sinful and He is holy. And somehow, in the midst of all that, He overlooks our sin. And in love sets us free if you want to be changed spend extravagant time with jesus i want to ask everybody to do this close your eyes and bow your heads and i want to simply ask this if there is anyone within the sound of my voice that has not yet made this decision to follow jesus christ that as i say this you think that sounds wonderful I don't even know where to start. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to make that decision, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. All that simply means is this, is that you admit that you've sinned, that you've messed up, that you've not been the perfect example of who you wanted to be. That you believe that Jesus Christ and His death on the cross pays for your sin and confess that Jesus is Lord. That's all that means. If you want to do that today, I want you to just slip your hand up and put it back down just so I can see it. Nobody else is looking around. Anybody, within the sound of my voice, you want to turn your life over to Christ. This is your moment. Here's what I want to do for the rest of us. If you... Keep your eyes closed and keep your head bowed. I want to just walk you through this real quick. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are not alone in the pew, and the people sitting next to you are not alone. I want you to imagine that the person of Christ sat down right next to you. The person of Jesus just sits down right next to you. He was there this morning. He saw what happened. He was there this last week. He knows what you've been facing. He knows what you've been going through. He knows what you're afraid of. And I I want you to do this. I want you to imagine what he would say to you in this moment. And I want you to, by the Holy Spirit, allow him to speak to you, even in this moment, right now. What would he say? I think he would speak peace. I think he would speak hope to some of you that are hopeless. That are facing situations you don't know how to overcome. I think he would speak healing to some of you who are broken. I think he would speak faith to some of you who don't know how you're going to pay for those bills or how you're going to face that job tomorrow. And I think he would speak mercy and forgiveness. For those of us who have struggled with sin. I do this because I'm telling you to spend extravagant time with Jesus. But as you look back over your week and you see that he has been there at every step, I want you to realize that Jesus has already been trying to spend extravagant time with you. That our word promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he has not broken that promise this week. And whether you remember him or not, he's been with you this week. He's been with you. Allow him to comfort you. Allow him to encourage you. Allow him to speak life into you. And allow him to remind you that it's okay if you're not who you yet want to become. Because he is. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. And we thank you for what he has done in our lives. God, and as everyone in this room is focused on you, God, I pray that you would speak clearly to us. Help us to know that you are with us and that you've never left our side. God, as we try to spend extravagant time with you, may we never forget that you are always wanting to spend extravagant time with us. We ask this in your name, Christ. Amen.
1: just before we go, um, I want to thank pastor John for, uh, coming today and giving an amazing word, um, extravagant prayer. That's, uh, that's good. That's something that everyone can take an extra dose of. Uh, I encourage you this week to, to spend that time in extravagant prayer, but before we dismiss, um, as a church family, as a church body, we're going to pray, uh, for some members of our, of our body that, uh, that are hurting, that are going through different challenges. Um, I'm going to ask Patricia. Patricia, if you want to go ahead and come up. Patricia is going to share a little testimony, and then we're going to pray for uh, two other people as we also pray for Patricia. Um, I'll I'll mention that just here.
2: Thank you, Lord. I just want to tell you that the doctor's have said that I have a tumor, and but we walk by faith, not by sight. That's right. I have kept saying to them, I believe that I'm healed. And they're saying, no, it's on the x-ray. And I say, no, I have a God who heals. I have been humbled by the road that he's taken me through. Um, I went to a surgeon, and the first surgeon I saw said, "Mm, we're just going to take both breaths. That's all there is to it. I got out of his office and said, "Uh uh-uh. The Lord said, "Uh uh-uh, no way. And so then he led me to another doctor who was a surgeon and he also was a nutritionist. And he's worked with me and built up my body. God's ways are so much higher than ours. So he worked with my body, built me up, and then um, God said, well now you can have a lumpectomy. So I'm supposed to have one on Wednesday. But I talked to the doctor, and I said, what if you don't see anything? She said, well, then I'll just call off the surgery. Will you just agree with me that she's going to call off the surgery? She said she has never seen a miracle. We all sit here having seen a miracle. Her name is Dr. Pamela Wright, and pray with me, if God can come for anyone, He came for her. She deals with people who are dying of breast cancer every day, and she's never seen a miracle. I believe she's going to see a miracle. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. And I agree with Patricia in that. And um, there's two other members of our church. Um, Some of you know Rosie Cabrera. Um, Rosie is in the hospital right now. Uh, We're going to go see her uh, after service. Um, Her time is is coming short. Um, Jose, her husband, uh, stopped by the church uh, earlier this week uh, and asked that that we'd stop by. uh, Say goodbye. Um, So I just want to...
3: Um, So I just want to give you an update Um, We we were notified by the family uh, To pray for Rosie Rosie Cabrera uh, Last night And we made arrangements To try to get to her After the uh, service We just found out That she just passed away Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Okay. So Again We pray for the family um, we it, she has a granddaughter a daughter that recently got married um, one of uh, my last conversations with with uh, Rosie was that she definitely wanted to be there for her daughter's wedding and um, that was something that was keeping her strength and and, and she she was there for her daughter um, so again uh, husband daughter I think she has men some uh, two sons maybe two sons and um, so we'll, we can pray for all of them. So, again.
1: Thank you, Alvaro. Um, sorry, I'm just trying to regain my thought um, process. Um, let's do this. Um, if you want to join us here and lay hands on, on Patricia, we're going to go ahead and pray for her uh, before her surgery, a possible surgery. Uh, if you don't, you can just extend your hands um, from where you are. Uh, but Let's just... Uh, Let's just be uh, the family of god and uh, and and do that um, heavenly Father uh, just thank you for uh, Patricia, lord um, she's been a member of our church for such a long time. Uh, just pray that uh, that your hand uh, would be on her and that that you would just do a miracle uh, lord, as she asked that uh, that uh, that you'd be with her this week and that you would uh, open the eyes and heart of that doctor regardless of the outcome that she would know that there is a God in heaven that loves her that knows her name that knows every hair on her head that knows the struggles that she's going through and the the problems that that she's dealing with and Lord we just lift and and agree with Patricia in prayer that uh, that you would relieve her of this cancer Lord we come against it in Jesus name Um, we rebuke it uh, Lord, we just pray your healing hand would be on Patricia and through Patricia um, through these coming weeks and, um, and months, Lord, as she, as she goes through this. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you all to also keep um, Paulette in prayer. Uh, she had surgery uh, two weeks ago, last week. Um, she's also suffering from uh, cancer. Uh, no, not cancer sorry. Heart surgery. Thank you. Uh, she had her pacemaker. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm losing my, my mind here. Um, she had her pacemaker uh, replaced. So, uh, if you want to give her a call, just um, tell her that you're you're praying for her and that uh, you know that the, that the pain would would uh, subside and, and be easy. Okay. Well, on that note, uh, want to invite you to uh, enjoy each.